to 15 Minutes in Washington, D.C. I'm Hayley Chatter, Senior Policy Fellow with the Perth U.S. Asia Centre. My guest today is Kay Koga. Kay is Assistant Professor at the Public Policy and Global Affairs Program at Nanyang Technological University in Singapore. Concurrently, he's a non-resident fellow at the National Bureau of Asian Research, and he's also a Japan fellow at the Wilson Center right here in Washington, DC. Kay, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Now, Kay, many people may already know you and know of your work. Um, Your expertise includes East Asian security, US and Japanese foreign policies, and the US-Japan alliance. And because you're Japanese, I really want to talk about Japan and also understand better what Japan as a country is feeling and thinking about the Indo-Pacific region. So obviously, recently, we had the really tragic death of uh, former Prime Minister Abe Shinzo, and he was a real grandfather of ideas like the Quad framework and also about pushing Japan into a new era of um, developing its security and spending more on defense. But in terms of, you know, Japan's psyche and how it's feeling its place in the region, how is Japan feeling right now? Okay, so I guess the... uh, um the uh, in the Pacific is pretty new concept for the uh, Japanese, and the uh, uh, right now, not many uh, the uh, people in Japan don't really feel that the uh, in the Pacific is the uh, their own region. So uh, if you ask the uh, the general public about the in Pacific, maybe they don't actually understand what kind of like geographical scope uh, they are actually talking about. But I think the uh, in terms of the uh, policy makers and also the government officials, uh, this uh, the uh, in Pacific narrative becomes the uh, one of the main kind of uh, the uh, concept. Uh, for the uh, Japan's foreign policy, and particularly this was has been, as you said, the uh, nurtured uh, since the uh, early 2000s when the uh, Japan started to interact with the uh, India more often, and the uh, some of the Japanese policy makers or the uh, government officials and politicians, including the Abe, uh, wanted to um, they actually wanted to strengthen their tie with the India because India is going to be really important in terms of the geostrategic uh, landscape in the uh, Asia, uh, particularly uh, the, uh, vis-a-vis uh, China. Um, and then the, uh, there are ups and downs. Uh, Japan actually uh, started to uh, strengthen the bilateral ties and trilateral ties, and then the uh, Abe actually tried to create the uh, uh, QSD, quadrilateral mm-hmm. uh, strategic uh, dialogue uh, with the Australia, India, uh, United States. But then the... Uh, at that time, in 2008, was actually a little bit too early. Uh, many people were concerned about the uh, Chinese reactions, and then they didn't actually want to push too much. While uh, the uh, I guess the uh, uh, in longer term, they were uh, have some kind of like the uh, uh, the concerns, but they didn't actually want uh, reveal it. Uh, in the uh, 2010, uh, the uh, when the, uh, they feel that the uh, they felt. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, Chinese rise uh, becomes uh, became more assertive. Then people started to uh, think that okay, so probably like, India is a good partner to uh, align with. So I guess the uh, this uh, kind of the uh, strategic environment uh, created the atmosphere uh, where uh, the policymakers and then the government officials uh, started to think the India Pacific is a really really important area. So they actually tried to expand. Uh, the uh, uh, the uh, strategic horizon for Japan, 
But again, as I said at the beginning, then probably there are people in Japan don't really feel that they are in the Pacific. They couldn't actually relate to the India yet. I guess there are more kind of interactions at the social level is important to make them feel. But if we are there, let them feel that the in the Pacific is a really important area for their Japanese security and their national interest. Mm. You've actually drawn quite a distinction between how the Japanese public feel versus what the government policy has been. And do you think that um, Japanese politicians and former prime ministers have been really more forward leaning on security and looking at the region than average Japanese people are thinking about the region? Or do you think actually that gap between the officials and the public is closing and people in the public now are thinking more about the region with things like what China is doing, for example? Exactly. So the uh, I guess the uh, the both are right. Uh, the uh, the, uh, um, the to begin with, I think the uh, current international environment uh, the uh, created the uh, certain um, atmosphere for where uh, the Japanese people think that the security, international security, is really important uh, for the uh, Japan itself. Particularly the uh, when they face the uh, the see the uh, um, Russia Ukraine uh, war. And the, uh, also, the, uh, they actually started to relate it to the uh, East Asia, like Taiwan Straits and then the South China Sea or East China Sea. Then they see the uh, those kind of geopolitical or uh, geopolitical uh, relations are really important mm. to manage. I think there's a similar trend in Australia where foreign affairs and defence weren't typically something that the public was really interested in until the last six to 12 months where, you know, we had a federal election in Australia and some of the election issues were around China or Australia's foreign policy and how effectively we were managing relations. So I personally really enjoy seeing the public become more engaged, although their engagement can be very shallow because mm. they don't have time to get into the depth mm. of all of these complex relationships. But, mm. Kay, you've written quite a bit on minilateralism in the Indo-Pacific region. And in fact, you're going to publish a piece with Asia Policy in a couple of months called New Strategic Minilateralism in the Indo-Pacific. And this is a topic I love to discuss because I've written on the quad and I've also looked at all of Australia's strategic minilateral groupings in the Indo-Pacific. There's a couple of key findings in your report that I really wanted to tease out a little bit more. Mm. So one of them is that with all of these different minilateral groupings in our region that you've identified, including um, the Quad and AUKUS between Australia, the UK and the United States, you talk about the fact that they would be more successful if they worked with a grand design. So I wanted to ask, you know, what would a grand design for these minilateral groupings actually look like in practice? Okay. So um, I think the uh, currently, the, uh, uh, as you said, the minilateralism is on the rise. And the, uh, uh, the reason is because the, uh, the current uh, East Asian uh, security architecture, which is uh, based on uh, the uh, US kind of have and spoke uh, the bilateral net, uh, alliance network and the uh, ASEAN uh, multilateralism, don't really address the uh, problems uh, the, in the uh, in the Pacific or including the East Asia, such as the uh, South China Sea and also the uh, Taiwan Straits or the uh, other uh, kind of like border issues uh, in the uh, Asia. So, um, militarism was actually is uh, the uh, important framework uh, for uh, the uh, those uh, the major powers to uh, maintain 
uh, international uh, the uh, kind of rules based rules based international order and the, uh, try to address the, those problems that the uh, current uh, regional security architecture couldn't actually do much. Um, the problem is that the, uh, there are so many. Uh, the, I think the uh, recently the uh, because uh, the uh, quad actually becoming uh, is becoming more and more institutionalized, uh, and which is good. But then AUKUS actually came in, and then the uh, um, uh, no mini lateralism, but the uh, in the Pacific the economic framework IPF actually mm -hmm. are there. And uh, those are actually led by the uh, major parts, particularly the United States. And the, uh, those are the uh, great, I think, the, uh, the tool for the uh, regional major parts to push forward. But I guess the, uh, the, uh, the problem is that uh, the, uh, they don't really have the uh, um, particular uh, objective uh, in the uh, miniaturism, except for probably AUKUS. AUKUS has the certain kind of like specific objective to uh, that is the uh, to strengthen the Australian military capabilities in the Pacific, uh, creating the uh, nuclear uh, port uh, submarines for the uh, Australia. That's great, but the uh, Quad and then the uh, IPF still like it's uh, uh, the, uh, the beginning uh, uh, the other uh, kind of. Uh, formidable. Uh, mm. <laughs> yeah. They have multiple priorities and not very clear driver in one thing in particular. Exactly. So I guess the uh, this is the uh, kind of the uh, the I think the uh, advantage and also disadvantage. Advantage is that you can actually shape those minimalism in the many ways, so that the uh, it could actually become a really good tool for the uh, region uh, to address uh, the uh, problems that like, we couldn't actually figure out or we couldn't actually resolve. Um, on the other hand, uh, disadvantage is if we just let it go, let them go, then yeah, they could go everywhere. They couldn't actually figure out the uh, what kind of the issue they want to address, and then they couldn't actually uh, figure out the uh, what common ground among the member states. So the uh, uh, what I actually uh, propose in my article uh, is the. Uh, um, I actually uh, thought the uh, it would be better the what kind of the. Uh, um, uh, the functionalities that the uh, Quad and also the uh, IPF and AUKUS uh, should have. And then the, uh, obviously like the membership is uh, different and then maybe like their geographical focus could be different within the Indo-Pacific. So they could actually figure out what kind of area of cooperation they uh, want to do. And then they are uh, just kind of uh, aim for that. For example, the uh, AUKUS is more like military oriented the uh, coalition or the uh, the uh, security uh, the uh, agreements. So that the uh, military cooperation could be the priority number one for the AUKUS, and then they could actually expand more. But then their kind of priority is more kind of defined. Uh, on the other hand, the uh, Quad is more uh, the uh, it's really hard to. A push for the uh, uh, so-called like traditional military alliance, military cooperation, like the uh, mutual defense treaty or so. So uh, it could be uh, the uh, function as the uh, um, uh, the uh, uh, non building or the uh, kind of creating uh, the uh, entity or the like grouping uh, for the uh, in the Pacific. Uh, then the uh, if we actually take that stance. The quad can become the uh, is actually really good because the uh, they uh, have the now the uh, several working uh, the uh, groups uh, which focusing on critical uh, and then emerging technologies 
and then the infrastructure that actually requires more the uh, 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 rules and the norms uh, at the international level. So uh, these are the things that like I actually uh, kind of uh, uh, the uh, suggested, and then the uh, in order to figure out, in order to clarify those uh, division of labor, uh, those interagency or inter uh, the uh, um, uh, institution now dialogue are really important. Mm. Okay, you mentioned AUKUS and maybe expanding AUKUS or what the future of AUKUS is and that it's a military grouping. Um, Earlier this year at the Perth US Asia Centre, we hosted former Foreign and Defence Minister Taro Kono from Japan, and he talked about JAUKUS, which would be Japan, Australia, UK and the United States. I'm just wondering what your opinion is on actually adding Japan to the AUKUS agreement. Do you think it's a good idea? And if so, what do you think Japan would bring to the AUKUS arrangement? Okay, great question. Um, I, I think the... Uh, um, <laughs> uh, You're like, yes, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> I think the, uh, that the, uh, in the longer term, maybe, I, I think the... Uh, the, the uh, I guess the uh, the cooperation between among the uh, Japan, United States, Australia, UK actually makes sense because the uh, Japan is now trying to strengthen the uh, military ties with the Australia and the UK, as you said. The uh, as you actually wrote the piece about the uh, RAA uh, in the uh, many places. I think the uh, the Japan is trying to uh, the strength, uh, the um, sign the RAA with the United Kingdom mm-hmm. as it did the, with the uh, Australia. <laughs> so in that sense, um, the uh, the it makes sense to actually uh, cooperate with those four countries. But then the uh, the one actually the issue is that the AUKUS is primarily more on the kind of a military uh, the uh, coalition and the military alliances, and. Um, the thing is, the uh, nuclear sum, uh, propelled submarine the, uh, was not necessarily the uh, the, uh, the things that like Japan actually uh, wants mm. and uh, Japan actually won't, can pursue uh, realistically. So, uh, the, if you get involved in the jokers, there are many hurdles because I mean, create a jokers, there's gonna be a more kind of uh, uh, several issues. Uh, first of all, the uh, they don't. Uh, the Japan is not the uh, uh, the uh, nuclear kind of the capable uh, the uh, country. Mm. I mean, even though they may have the, some kind of capabilities to develop it, but they don't actually want to do that. Uh, that's a kind of like offshore or the uh, social norms mm. uh, in Japan. And is nuclear issue still very sensitive in Japan? Yeah, it's still sensitive. Like we started to uh, the uh, talk about it, but the uh, uh, the problem is the uh, not that um, people many people are not like really enthusiastic about it, except for probably like strategists. Which are the hardcore strategists wants to actually discuss, and then probably yeah. in the future maybe they want to have one. But then the uh, uh, in the longer run, uh, we don't know. But then I guess the other issue is the other uh, social and then the uh, political uh, debate is that the uh, the the assumption is that we don't have it, mm-hmm. but we are not going to have it. But then the uh, we may uh, want to talk about it. So that's a kind of the uh, uh, the assumption we have. So that's a one uh, the uh, big issue. And then the other one is the uh, Japan is not the uh, the member of the five eyes, right? So the uh, information sharing and the intelligence sharing has the, some kind of limitation. Mm-hmm. Japan hasn't actually set up the robust kind of the um uh, the intelligence uh, collect. I mean the uh, intelligence, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the also the uh, it doesn't actually have the uh, um uh, the uh, still. I mean, I think compared with the uh, those five countries, the uh, 
the information security is not that very strong. So I guess the, these are the things because the AUKUS has more like really sensitive uh, info, deals with more kind of sensitive information, and the uh, Japan might not be actually uh, the uh, the one who could actually uh, do the same. Uh, with the other members. Mm. Having said that, I think the, uh, there are several other kind of areas that Japan can compare. Uh, the, uh, that is the, uh, probably the AUKUS is still evolving, so they would expand the uh, uh, area of cooperation, such as um, maybe like doing some kind of military exercises, or maybe like doing the, some other uh, cy cyber security kind of uh, seminars or workshops, mm. where I think the, uh, this is other uh, areas that Japan can cooperate. So if you think the about the your um uh jokers i mean it's more like kind of quasi jokers or like okas uh the uh, plus and then the uh, japan can cooperate with the, uh, those kind of four countries i wonder too if not on the nuclear submarine there might actually be more opportunity for japan to work with those three countries on some of the emerging tech things like undersea warfare or ai or quantum for example that take away the nuclear question and just focus on the new emerging technologies but one of the other things i wanted to talk about was I mean, Southeast Asia has had different reactions to AUKUS and also different reactions to the Quad. And uh, some Southeast Asian countries are supportive, others are muted, and then others, again, are you know actively disagreeing and saying that these are really negative things. So, Kay, Southeast Asia is where you're based in Singapore, and you know the region quite well. I'm wondering, what's your view about how successful some of the strategic messaging has been my understanding is that Japan has been working in Southeast Asia, including through things like infrastructure, and has been very effective at the kind of partnerships and strategic messaging in Southeast Asia that it's tried. I'm not actually sure so much about the US or the you know Australian side of things in terms of how effective some of their um, messaging is. So what's your view on that? I think the uh, um, the strategic messaging. Um, I guess the United States uh, is uh, struggling for that. I uh, believe that the uh, the U.S. actually wants to engage with Southeast Asia uh, bilaterally and multilaterally, but then the uh, the United States still, like in my opinion, uh, couldn't find how to engage the multilaterally. What they actually did was the. Uh, has been doing is to emphasize the importance of the uh, ASEAN and the importance of the ASEAN centrality and also unity, uh, these kind of things. But like, I'm not sh too sure uh, if they really uh, have the idea about the uh, concept of the ASEAN centrality or the ASEAN unity. So I guess the, the for now like, it's a, a more kind of a diplomatic rhetoric. But then the, uh, they are trying to engage. And then the, uh, I think the, uh, from the Southeast Asian perspective, this is just, again, like my opinion, but they understand that. I mean, they, I think the, uh, they know. They understand the U.S. is struggling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they also know that the uh, U.S. is actually still uh, can find the way to engage the multilaterally. And then the, at the end of the day, I think the uh, U.S. is more going to uh, uh, focus on the uh, bilateral uh, the relations because it's more kind of clear. And then the, uh, they could actually get some kind of like outcome like the uh, meter agreement, the technology cooperation, etc., etc. Et so uh, the, uh, this is the, uh, uh, the, uh, the perspective from the uh, Southeast Asia. What the, I think the Australia and Japan can do about it is that uh, I think the uh, Japan and Australia, because of the uh, geographical uh, proximity 
they interact the uh, Southeast Asian countries a lot, and then they actually think more about the uh, Southeast Asia, uh, the, again, like bilaterally and multilaterally. Uh, the uh, issue is, uh, the, uh, I think what they could do is that they could actually bridge uh, the uh, differences between the Southeast Asian countries and then also the, uh, uh, the United States. Mm. The United States has too many commitments right now, and then the, uh, even though they emphasize the importance of in the Pacific, uh, in the short term, they may actually uh, the allocate some resources, diplomatic resources, military resources to other places. And uh, in, uh, the, uh, that's actually understandable. But then yeah, there is a certain kind of the uh, no like the quasi power vacuum uh, during that period, and then probably like the Japan and Australia could fill it. Uh, then the, they could actually spend the diplomatic resources to interact Southeast Asia and ASEAN, mm -hmm. and then they uh, make sure that the uh, the United States and then the uh, those allies were not actually disengaging the region or like the uh, more effectively the, exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of the uh, the I think this is a part of the. Uh, uh, the division of labour that the US allies can do. Okay, thank you so much for speaking with us. Uh, the research you're doing is very important and very timely because Southeast Asia is going to be the centre uh, of all of our strategic discussions because if there is competition between the US and China, Southeast Asia is often at the heart of that discussion. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and I can't wait to read your further research. Ready to talk to you. Thank you so much.